Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals, with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Savior Custom Drums, quality crafted drums handmade in Denver, Colorado. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. On the air with us is Caleb Rodriguez. Did I say that right? Yeah. And Caleb, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into doing, you know, audio production and stuff like that. I feel like it started out pretty much the same as most people does. It started with me wanting to record my band's music, and then I got real serious about it. I wanted to start doing it as a job, so... A few people in my area were interested in what I was doing, and so they started recording with me, and that's pretty much it. Did you have a normal job, and then you were able to replace that job with income from audio production? Actually, now it's starting to be that, yeah. That's awesome, man. Congrats. Excellent. Thanks. Yeah, that's killer. So um, tell us a little bit more about the song that we're going to hear. Uh, this was off my band's uh, EP. We decided to re-record it and remix it and stuff because uh, our old vocalist left and I became the vocalist. So, yeah, we just re-recorded it for that purpose and edited some of the arrangement and stuff like that. So what you're saying is crit the crap out of the vocals. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. should. You should. You should. <laughs> okay, well, uh, let's play the song right now and we'll just let's listen to what we're working with. Okay.
Um, so tell us a little bit more about this production in particular. Like, what kind of equipment did you use? How did you record it? What you know? Tell us about the instruments and all this. I use uh, all right. My interface is an RME Fireface 800. I have a um, RMPA Pro 2, I believe, is what the preamp is called. I've been wanting to change out the tubes on it, haven't gotten to it yet. The guitar is a Schecter, has EMG pickups in it. It's in drop D. The drums were Steven Slate drums. We figured that out. <laughs> which kick, which snare? Uh, it was kick 10, snare 12. <laughs> I told you guys. I told you guys. I, I blended it with, uh, I think, the never snare. My toms were uh, the never toms. That's like my favorite kit is uh, the yeah. never stuff. I love, I love it. the never. We know a lot about kick 10 and a lot about snare 12 more than we should. <laughs> I figured you'd pick up on that. I thought that'd be pretty funny. That's Immediately, why I I'm like, what's up, 1012? <laughs> are the symbols programmed, or, they, or did you like replace the shells with Steven Slate but use the symbols from a microphone or something? No, actually, uh, I really wanted to use Drumforge symbols, I'm not going to lie, so I did. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So you're using no, the Drumforge symbols. No, I got to go back and listen to it because I didn't actually listen to the symbols. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really focused on just balance and, and like EQ decisions and stuff. I wasn't really paying attention. I did pick up on the kick 10 snare 12 because as we all know, it's almost the most used drum sample in the industry. So yeah, um, <laughs> so basically was... everything's fair game, but the cymbals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Just you... kidding. I actually have one crit on the cymbals, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's start with what you think, Al. What do you think about this mix? Well, I actually have a couple more questions, which is how many people are in this band? <laughs> Three of us. Three? So do you guys have a drummer? Yeah, we do. Uh, the problem is that he works all the time during the day because uh, our, our fathers own a business. And so he works for uh, his dad and he never has time to come record drums. Sounds like a normal drummer. Okay, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> all right, a couple more questions. As far as mixing goes, did you mix this all yourself, or was it with like the other band guys all over you in the room telling you what they wanted? Uh, I mixed it all myself. Okay, cool. And what kind of environment do you have set up? Uh, well, my um, monitors are KRK Rocket 5s, and I only use them to reference my mix. I actually mix in headphones. Ah, okay. That makes ah. a lot of sense, because um, it sounds to me like the balances are a little weird. It's like snare is very, very pokey, and... I'm not hearing the kicks coming through quite enough, and mm. the guitars kind of have a little, they're just not carved out enough, but I totally can tell that it was done with headphones now. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of those things can't really take shape if you're mixing in headphones, in my opinion. Why do you mix in headphones mainly? Is it because of volume restrictions or something? Mainly because... I'm really not used to it. <laughs> I've tried it a couple times. Well, you're not used to what? I don't know. It just feels like I have a harder time picking out details in my speakers. I don't know. Well, the thing is, you should be using your headphones for little details like delay trails. And oh, okay. Sometimes they're really good for carving out the high end of a bass guitar 
or uh, listening for edits or how certain things work together, like harmonies, things like that. But when you're doing actual leveling of Mm -hmm. your uh, meat and potatoes stuff, you know, drums with guitar, you know, the stuff that is like, you know, that makes up the majority of a metal mix is the drum sound with the guitars and the bass underneath it uh, it's very hard to get that right in headphones i mean mm-hmm. i know guys who have done it and i've done it here and there i know will punny has mixed an album that did real well in headphones because he had no choice and i know a few guys who have had to do it but it's definitely not advisable uh, you have to use a shit ton of reference material when you're <laughs> if you're going to mix with headphones like a ridiculous amount do you guys joey and joel ever use headphones for Dude, real mixing i hate headphones okay. when mixing i mean i'll ref them but i the, you know out of every 10 songs i mix maybe 0.01 i actually break out <laughs> the serious headphones on just because like when I feel like I'm mixing at headphones, what ends up happening is I feel like I can't hear what the hell is going on unless I crank them up really loud. I mean, I've got a couple of really expensive pairs of headphones, but they all sound like absolute garbage to me. And then I take them off and I'm like, oh, now I can actually hear what the mid range of the guitar sounds like. And it just doesn't sound like a bunch of smeared BS. <laughs> yeah. If there was a pie for, you know, all the sources you check on, I would say the headphones would have a little five percent slice i have my headphones hooked up all the time and they're over here like right next to me and so i kind of just bring them in when i'm on like mix three and i'm about to be like okay this is the last time i'm ever going to touch this song that's when i pick up the headphones and i want to make sure of a couple things and then Mm -hmm. i might make a few more changes and then make it mix four and then it's done but i might not even exactly yeah i might not even hear it on headphones on mix one like i might not even try so it all just depends, but I think, the, like we said uh, a couple episodes ago, I think it was, we said, you know, the more sources you have, the better. It's just kind of like, you know, when you're driving, you want to be able to see, you want to hear, you want to have all your mirrors, so all those little things contribute to being safe in the car. It's kind of like, same thing with mixing, like your song is going to sonically turn out really good when you're making all of your decisions based on several different listening sources. So I would say, I mean, I know you've got your your KRKs and your headphones, but you might even want to go out and get, you know, like a pair of consumer speakers at Best Buy and then mm-hmm. also get a, like a laptop and then check on those two sources as well. And I don't know if you have a car with the stereo system, but that's also a great place to listen to your work. Caleb, do you have a sub? No. <laughs> get one. <laughs> yeah, de- definitely get one. And I'll, I'll say that with headphones, I do a lot the same thing that you do, Joey, which is basically give it the consumer test at the end. Like I'll listen on consumer grade headphones at the end to make sure that it sounds awesome like that, the way that a lot of people are going to listen. But you can't be making EQ decisions and things like that in headphones. It, mm-hmm. It's tough. It's way too easy to screw up. You you want to know how your mix is moving speakers and when i say moving speakers i don't mean the kind that are two inches so (laughs) that's why it's important to hear them on the monitors and and make decisions Mm -hmm. there because then you're really figuring out how all of the blends are going to work the speakers 
and you'll have a better educated idea of you know what is actually going on now how are you set up are you like just in a bedroom or what yeah i'm in my bedroom and so my acoustics probably are really bad one thing that happens a lot with bedrooms because most bedrooms are square is uh there's like a somewhere in the room where all the bass disappears or where all the bass multiplies yeah so you've got to listen for that position which I guess if you're mixing in headphones... You don't have to worry about it. However, I have a feeling that... He said that uh, it was impossible to really hear detail out of his monitors. Maybe that's what's going on. That Reflections, uh, too, yeah. Yeah, it's just in a shitty spot in the room with mm-hmm. no, no treatment. And the room is killing your ability to hear what's coming out of your monitors. So, therefore, you're switching to headphones to compensate, but... You're not really fixing the problem, which is that your room is fucking up your ability to hear properly. (laughs) I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) It's probably what's going on. Yeah, try experimenting with moving a bunch of stuff around your room and pissing off everybody that lives in the house and try to find the best mix position. Because, I mean, I had like a... 10 by 11 tracking dungeon or like little control room thing for years. And Mm -hmm. then I kind of moved, I switched rooms into my quasi live room because it was a little bit longer. It was more like 16 feet by like 12 wide as opposed to 10 by 11. Mm -hmm. So when I did that, I was shocked at how much better I could hear. Or sometimes, you know, like I said, just like changing orientation. Like if you're facing West, try North, for example, or you know, also the proximity of your speakers to the wall. I mean, given if you're in a bedroom, you really don't have a lot of room to move, but sometimes even moving them like a few inches can make a big audible difference at your mixing position. Yeah. Do you have like 300 bucks or 200 bucks and are you somewhat handy? Um, yeah, I, I think I'm pretty handy. I built a house once. <laughs> okay. All right. Well then, and do you have access to a couple hundred bucks? All right, well, look up DIY acoustic panels and build some. Yeah, it's just wood 703 and cloth, pretty much, yeah. and some staples. Yeah, exactly. You would be surprised at how much difference it makes. You just pop a couple of those on the wall and or you know, put some in the corner and boom, you'll, your entire world will change. <laughs> yeah, just make sure it's a breathable fabric like yeah. Hilford of Maine fabric or something. Just look up breathable fabric, but you can build i'd say like a good five to ten panels for a budget of about 200 bucks which is way better than buying them from somewhere if you know how to build the reason that i buy mine is because i'm a horrible builder and i <laughs> you know there's I, I try not to do things that i know i'm horrible at i get mine from gik but if you've built a house it would be nothing for you to do this. Just look it up on Google. There's plenty of plans. And the only thing I can say beyond that is in the corners, just make sure you go thicker. Like if you get sheets of 703 that are two inches thick, stack them on top of each other in the corners so it's four inches or six inches or even eight inches and uh, you know, fill up the corners all the way to the ceiling. Do as much as you can, but if you do that, it's definitely going to help your ability to hear in that room. Let's talk about, and this is going to be the first roast, 
<laughs> let's talk about the fact that this really isn't a mix and it's just a production. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. I can start. I've got a whole list of stuff. The main things when I listened to this, Caleb, that really stood out to me, like when I hit play, I was immediately like, okay, this mix has no balls and it has no clarity. I'll start with the bottom end because to me, one of the telltale signs of like a really pro, really awesome mix is having that really just expensive, gelled, punchy, full, but not boomy. You know what I mean? That bottom where you listen to the record, you hit play and you go F yes. And that's like really, (laughs) you know, when you listen to a lot of great mixes, that's like the first thing you notice. Like when you turn on Nickelback, the first thing you hear is you're like, holy shit, that low end is just destroying. It sounds incredible. Like the whole thing just sounds like it kicks you right in the nuts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I immediately when I hit play, there was just completely no bottom. Now, given that you've just uh, disclosed that you've done this on headphones, the first thing that comes to mind is, okay, well, that's why. Uh, The next thing is you don't have a sub and your room isn't trapped and treated. So um, when I listened in my treated room on my sub, literally there was like no punch or there was nothing in the bottom that was moving the mix that was creating energy that really gave, you know, like the kick drum and the guitars, Mm -hmm. you know, that punch that makes a metal song hit and slam. It was just kind of like, it sounded flat. That's the word I use. Like it had no depth to it. And it sounds a little lo-fi. Yeah. It just has no bottom. There's nothing Hmm. there. Yeah. Do you actually have, I mean, (laughs) I hate to ask you this, but is there actually bass in the song? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. This actually, I noticed the same thing myself. Because uh, when I woke up this morning, I listened to it again. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what you send us. We're going to find something to be evil Notice about. he didn't answer the question about the bass. There is yeah. bass. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. What is it? It's Zombase. Zombase. Yeah. All right. Let me tell you about Zombase. Well, which Zombase are you using, first of all? Four. All right. Uh, one thing that will prevent low end from really uh, getting nice are things that cause phasing issues in the low end or intonation issues in the low end. Because if if things are fighting with each other down there, it's not going to work. Zombase is known to have some pretty serious intonation issues. So that could be hurting your low end a lot. Mm. Yeah. For example, if if the D on the bass, if there's a bass playing a D note, a low D note, and the guitar is also playing the same note, and they're like not in harmony with each other, and we're talking about like micro sense, (laughs) then it can create this weird illusion that, you know, that the low end isn't tight. Yeah, it literally will cancel out. Uh, Maybe not 100%, but it will definitely hurt it. And Zombase is like definitely suspect right there because they even admit to it. You can look this up online. They, I don't know if this is a cover story, not a cover story. I don't know if this is damage control or if they actually honestly intended to do it this way. But what they said is that because on a real bass, the harder you hit, the more sharp it goes Mm -hmm. that on zombies and higher velocities it goes sharp like a real bass which honestly (laughs) i'm serious i think that's retarded yeah but but, (laughs) i mean isn't the reason that you use a virtual instrument in lots of cases to cover for the fact that somebody can't play or you're in a shitty situation like that like the yeah. instrument won't intonate so you pull out a virtual instrument mm-hmm. that should be perfect but zombies is not 
Here's kind of a trick that helps. Um, sometimes, even if I record, like if I'm doing like a real bass, I always do this. Or even if I have a synthetic bass, I always kind of open up like uh, a pitch checker, like Melodyne or, you know, Vary Audio and Cubase. And I just look at it and make sure that, you know, everything is where it's supposed to be on the grid. And then sometimes you're like, oh man, that, you know, that note's pulling 15, 10 cents sharp sometimes. And sometimes just, you know, doing a little bit of auto tune on your bass can really kind of like help lock in your low end a little mm. bit and make it more, you know, gelled and make it sound like it, you know, doesn't suck. I've done that on Zombase before. And and what did you find? It helped, but at the same time, I don't have anything that's really good. So it wasn't like it didn't really make it perfect, I guess. Like it messed up some of the notes, but it did help a lot on the ones that it actually got right. It's hard to pitch correct bass, honestly. Yeah. Um, it, it never really turns out very good. So it's kind of one of those things that you want to get right at the source. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a last minute just, hey, you know, let's see if this works. If it does, great. If not, it, it, it can be very time consuming. You kind of got to 80, 20 of those types of decisions, depending on what the budget is of the project. OK, and then what about the guitar? What are you using for the guitar? I used Podfarm. Okay. And is it one of my tones or is it a tone you made? Nah, it's something Please I made. Please say yes. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping that you would say it was a tone that I made so that I could talk shit about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do have your tone and it's similar to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, the guitars were just kind of plain Jane. I, th I felt like they weren't very exciting. They were just kind of there. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with just you know, automation and EQ and uh, those things you just have to have an ear for. It's like mm -hmm. you got to go in there and make the guitars exciting. They're not going to be exciting on their own uh, unless like, you know, if you're dealing with a certain type of guitarist, maybe somebody who is a little bit more eccentric as a guitarist and has their own, you know, guitars and stuff, maybe they're going to have a playing style that is exciting. But when you're dealing with something that's a little bit more straightforward and clear cut, it's you've got to make it exciting with automation. And so I didn't really hear that that was there. Um, do you have any automation on the guitars at all? Only in the chorus, actually. And what, it just bumps up or something? Uh, they actually cut down a little cut bit. Cut down? So there's more Okay, because you have other elements coming in. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good move. Yeah. But there's other times where you might want to go in and, and raise like a high shelf when certain riffs come in to, you know, bring out the, the clarity and the riffs, mm -hmm. things like that. Or palm muting. Low yeah, end. that's a big one. Sometimes like a certain chunk will have like, you know, like if you see so you hit like an A note, for example, sometimes on whatever that speaker or cabinet and uh, or amp sim, for example, whatever you're using, it can really have like a buildup of energy in that area and only on like one stupid riff on the whole record. And you have to automate that stuff down with like a minor EQ cut uh, <laughs> to kind of get that stuff. So it's not swinging all over the place and pumping all your compressors. Yeah, it's like if you just leave it without any automation, it's going to be flat. So what makes it interesting is when you go go in and and make cuts or additions like based on what the instrument is playing yeah so i would say that would probably spice it up and i know like when you first go in and you're like okay well what should i do i don't even know what to do what i like to do is just start with an eq and grab one of the bands and just kind of move it around and see what i you know just kind of sweep and find frequencies that i like while the song is playing mm -hmm. and you know, within 10 minutes, you'll probably figure out like something that you want. You'll be like, oh, I want a little more 6K in this part. It sounds cool when I do that. So then you automate that. 
And then you listen to the song and you're like, well, now that part's like the most interesting part. I wonder how I can make these other parts, you know, equally as interesting. So mm-hmm. that's one strategy. Um, let's talk about the vocals. What do we got in the vocals? Can I say one thing real quick? Yeah. Sure. Before you start talking about the vocals, I can tell that the vocalist makes his vocals, especially on that chorus. It's a really good move to turn down the guitars a little when other elements come in. Mm-hmm. But man, those vocals are loud. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I rate things in terms of pop loud, you know, because when you listen to pop music, you've got vocals above everything. <laughs> and, you know, it's like if you're thinking, if think about an analogy of like water and then a boat on top of water or, you know, above the water or under the water. It's kind of like in metal and rock. It's like, you know, a boat that's kind of gliding on top of the water, but somewhat in it. Uh, in pop, it's almost all the way raised above it and you've got it like way above the music in the uh, in the chorus uh, can so- i interject a really funny short little story here about yeah that? yeah so the other i got the first mixed note back from a radio program director where they told me to turn the vocals down and Holy this has never shit. happened to me like i was doing a radio remix for a song um that my management team they're going to radio on this rock song and like usually they're like dude vocals up vocals up so i mixed them like you know out of 10, you know, being 10, being like, oh my God, like Christian radio loud, seven being like, you know, eight, seven to eight being like radio rock. I mixed them at like a six and the guy's like, dude, I can't even hear what's going on with the band. The vocals are so loud. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> it has never happened to me before. So I was just shocked. And then I had like four times more bass than, for example, like a star set or anything else I was refing that's been in the top 40 recently. And the dude's like, dude, the, the bottom end's got to come up. And I'm like, what are you listening on? Are you deaf? Because I'm like peeking out my sub over here. Oh so, my gosh. So anyway, sorry, carry on. I just, that kind of something recent that happened to me last week and maybe want to kill myself. So maybe some of his speakers are out of phase or something. Could be. Yeah. I've heard of that happening. I know a really famous A&R guy that uh, was working on something with Andy Sneap and Andy Sneap happened to be in the United States and went by this guy's office um, and decided that he was going to check out the dude's speakers because he was so sick of these crazy-ass mix notes. And <laughs> lo and behold, dude is giving him mix notes for a big-ass record on uh, speakers that are out of phase. Wow. So Well, go figure. You know, I mean, it, for the mixer, that's like getting even because every time a manager comes back and they're like, dude, vocals are too quiet. You just want to like, dude, yes. <laughs> I will kill. Like, they're loud enough and you can hear them. They're so loud in my car, I can't even hear the band. And you're telling me they're not loud enough. Okay, cool. Like, why, yeah. why don't we just make this a cappella and call it a day? <laughs> well, speaking on the vocals, there's definitely a point when they're too loud. So, and I know that might come as a shock to some people, but <laughs> I like it when the mo- vocals are just blended in there, still a little over the top, but just, you know, like a, almost like 60, 40 and not, you know, not 70, 30. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we, I mean, you know, 90, you can tell that uh, <laughs> you're the vocalist and that you mixed the song because the vocals are loud as hell. That's actually what my bass player wants. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's the one thing that he said is he wants the vocals loud. Do you play bass? No, <laughs> just kidding. Caleb, I'll tell you another good balancing story while I remember. There was, um, I used to play in a radio rock band. This is like 2008. We were kind of like a Nickelback, don't don't kill me. I was in a metal band before that, if it makes Dude, you feel better. Dude, I don't better. judge. Like, I listen thrash. to pop okay, just... more than anything else in the world. <laughs> 
I'm more worried about the 40 threatening emails I'm going to get when this podcast gets released for being a poser <laughs> from all my metal bands clients. But anyways, um, so we were on TKL, which is the Kirby organization, which is one of like the biggest rock booking agencies out there. And, you know, they had some huge bands back then, like Buck Cherry and Papa Roach and all that stuff. And, you know, my band had just gotten picked up and I sent in the first mix of our new album that I had done to Dave Kirby, who was the owner. And Dave's like, are you the guitar player in the band? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I can tell. I'm like, is that a good or a bad thing? He's like, no, I can just tell you it was mixed by the guitar player. And I'm like, dick. And I, <laughs> I, I thought about that and it really kind of set me back. And that was like the first time I really thought about like, dude, I'm, I'm mixing egocentric as opposed to, you know, mixing the song for the song. And that was kind of like when the bell went off for me and I started mixing a lot better. And then when the next mix had turned in, he's like, oh, this sounds really good. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, take well, that for what it's worth. It's just a old man story from back in the day. Well, I think there's something to be said for your story because nowadays where things are headed is that a lot of bands have a dude in in the band like Caleb who is the production guy and who mixes the band's stuff. And one thing that I've noticed is that when you have a band member mixing, things like this happen in the mix where there's one element that's just mixed to overshadow everything else. And maybe in this case, it was the bass player telling Caleb to turn the vocals up. But in general, it's the instrument that the mixer plays. You know, like Joel said, if, if it's a guitar player like him mixing it, then mixes will be guitar centric. If it's a vocalist mixing, mixes will be vocal centric. Um, even if it was your bass player arguing for it, it doesn't sound like you had much of a problem with his suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Never listen to the bass player, hint. <laughs> Life hack. <laughs> well, it's something that I've just noticed a lot. And, you know, being someone that's been in a band and mixed my own stuff and also had other people mix my stuff, there was a reason for why I decided to always hire other people to mix at a certain point and it was because I could never be objective enough with my own music hmm. and one thing is doing the production maybe you can do that fine but when it comes to mixing your own stuff it's almost like you need a good bird's eye view of the music and you definitely don't have that in if you're in the band now I'm not telling you to stop mm -hmm. I'm saying that these are some of the mental issues that occur if you're mixing your own music so what would be a good idea is to find some way to get better perspective on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that I don't know how much reference material you're using, but I would get on some really good referencing so that if you get some suggestions like blast those vocals way louder than Britney Spears would have hers, <laughs> then you can reference it to something you guys want to sound like and or at three different things that you want to sound like. And, you know, if you're blowing those away in terms of your vocal level, then you know you got to turn them down. Mm -hmm. So what are you using for referencing? In this one, I think I used one of Joey's older... Um, 2009? Yes. <laughs> That's so funny for so many reasons that yeah. we're not going to talk about. <laughs> Yeah. 
that's a big inside joke with Joey and me. We get sometimes we get clients that are like, hey, we'll send them an awesome mix, and they'll be like, hey, uh, this is not what I expected. You know, it doesn't sound like Devil Wears Prada with roots above and branches below. Blah blah blah. Yeah. That's the one I <laughs> oh, reference. No. Yeah, that's that's what we always say. We got oh, we got a 2009 client in the house. Uh, they want that 2009 sound. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting because sometimes we get. I, yeah. I just don't. It's even like, that was six years ago, man. Let's let's yeah. move on. But um, okay, so I want to ask you, like, you know, what do you think is wrong with your mix? What kind of questions do you have for us, and and what kind of problems do you have with your mix? Okay, so it's weird because I play pretty much. Well, I write all the band's music, so uh, but I always have a problem with guitar tone. I can never get it to be like exciting, like you said, like in the mix. Like it doesn't matter what I use. I have an Axe Effects. I honestly like. I feel like it's too real, and so my tones have like way more problems that I need to fix when I use my Axe Effects than when I use. Who pod plays the guitar? I'm gonna go out on a limb here and uh, say that Pod Farm slays Axe Effects. I just wanted to say that. Yes, it does. <laughs> I, I have to agree. Like when I first got my Axe Effects, I would be like, "Dude, that's so <laughs> you're wrong." But honestly, it's, it doesn't uh, seem like it on face value. But I'm telling you, as a guy who mixes with Pod Farm in some way, shape, or form, many days a week, every single week of his life, when people bring in Axe Effects, I substantially have a harder time getting the tone to not suck. And Pod Farm, it's like it is what it is, but it does what it does. But when you know how to get the most out of it and to maximize it, like literally it just always works. Like you, you can't hate on the fact that it never, you know, it is what it is, but it never sounds horrible. It always works. Yeah. One thing positive about Axe Effects, the fact that it has a, a little bit more of an expansive EQ built in is really nice. And uh, I've played with it and you can do some really good cutting some nice notching in there which really helps for live i i actually set up the i helped set up the guitar tone for ask alexandria because they do they don't have any speakers on stage so everything's coming straight out of the pa um so in that case it's got to be cd quality like you can't have any nasty frequencies or anything like that Uh, so Mm -hmm. yeah other than that i really am a you know a promoter of the of the pod farm life um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh you know it is what it is <laughs> I'll, I'll just got a cheap plug in here that i am making my own amp simulator and and you should check it out hopefully it's out by the time you hear this it's called tone forge you, let me ask who is playing the guitars me okay so well that this kind of goes back to what i was just saying is man if you are doing everything it is really hard to get some perspective on what's going on it's hard to critique yourself while tracking while getting good edits while trying to get a good mix but one thing is that if you've tried a million different things with guitar tone maybe the issue is your picking hand or something like that uh maybe it's not exciting enough because you're not playing exciting half a tone is really Mm. in the pick attack with a guitar probably 80 percent of it really like the way you have to get really thick strings if you want to get really good tone and you have to pick them really hard not so hard it goes out of tune but like Mm -hmm. there's a certain medium where you can kind of hear like the spank if you kind of turn off the speaker of the string and it just sounds really brutal like when you're picking it and i mean al and i have both been playing guitar for probably over 20 years each and um we've had really long conversations about just picking and guitar tone and Um, We're both kind of of the opinion that the way you pick it really, really matters and translates. I'll use this, Mm. for example, I have two bands and this has happened before where I'll have like the same Mesa rig and they'll come into my studio, have the same guitar, same setting, same mic position, everything back to back in a week. This is like 
from back in the day. Yep. And like, I was just shocked at how great the tone sounded on one band. And they were just like the same kind of band, the same kind of open chug, chug breakdown, 2009 crap. And the band after that, the week later, the guitar tone was horrible. And I was just like, it's the same guitar. It's the same settings, the same chain, hmm. exactly the same mix basically, but the guitars sound incredible in this mix. And the guitars sound like just garbage in the other mix. What's the difference? Well, it's just the way that it yeah. picks really is just, it's all in the finger control. So that's something to be mindful of. And the way you play the guitar can either make it sing or not. It's like any instrument, but I feel like if you're spending a long time on guitar tone and it's just not quite coming together, no matter what you try, you try this amp, this sim, this EQ, that EQ, and it's just not happening. You find yourself EQing your life away. It's probably the playing. It probably goes back Caleb, to the Caleb, you source. said you have Joey, one of Joey's preset pod tones, correct? How does yes. your playing sound through that? Because if it doesn't sound awesome, like straight up mix CD ready, then you're probably doing something wrong on the guitar end. Like it's the guitar itself, yeah. it's the playing, that it's was the a pickup, challenge. something like that. Because Well, I recently discovered that the pickups I was using in my guitars didn't sound good. <laughs> like for what I was wanting. When I switched to EMGs in this one guitar, I noticed a significant change in the quality of my tone. And I was actually like way, way happier with the tone on that, the song that I showed you guys than I had been on anything that I've done recently. But I also use thin picks. So well, that you know, thin picks help you stay in tune. Um, it's a, but you can't just say, okay, then always use thin picks because there's a balance between how thick the strings are, what the tuning is, what's the string tension, and then also how hard are you playing combined with the thickness of the pick. So there's a happy medium and a balance that you have to find. Do you guys yeah. have a favorite yeah. size for a pick, Al and Joey? Because I like the Tortex Dunlop um, 0.88 or the 1.0s. I feel like right there is the happy medium. That is okay. way heavier than what I use. <laughs> Joel, I have like what I prefer to play with. However, when I'm tracking myself or tracking somebody else, I have an assortment of sizes and thicknesses. And you just test them all out, yeah? We Yeah, we test it. Obviously, people are going to gravitate towards what they practice on the most and what they're the most comfortable with. But, you know, playing a strummy part with a super heavy pick with, like, one of the blue Tortex picks is probably not going to sound as That's good. That's where the point .88 a, comes in. <laughs> It's exactly, like the perfectly exactly. balanced pick for metal, speed picking, strumming, right around that range, plus or minus, maybe like one gauge. At least this is only for me as a guitar player, you know, having gone from a thrash metal to like a butt rock band, that's, I feel like kind of like right in the middle, I would call like the safe zone. So if you go up too high, you can't strum. If you're down too low, you're playing like acoustic, I don't know, it's like too floppy. It's weird. Yeah, so I would definitely try to go thicker than you are right now. Yeah, because I'm using 0.6 to 0.7. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that settles that. <laughs> Don't do it. I, I figured that I was making a lot of dumb decisions, like little things here and there that are going to really impact the way my stuff sounds. Those little yeah. decisions are everything, man. It's all. It's a great point. Your mix is. Yeah, your mix is like a thousand of these little decisions. That put was together. one of the challenges of trying to sell guitar tone presets because you're putting them out there on the internet so everyone in the world can get them. And then you've got people from all kinds of different backgrounds who just have no idea that it all does come down to 
choosing the right takes and having the right player and having the right pick. So you get a lot of people emailing, how, how come it doesn't sound like the sample on the website? And I'll tell you, like those examples on the website are just the tone. Like we're not, you know, we didn't make them sound fancier than what they really are. Like I, I got Kyle O'Dell. Oh, yeah. Who... Ah, fuck, I'm going to forget the name of his band right now. But he's an amazing guitar player, probably one of the best guitar players I know. And he's the guy that played those examples. And so it's a lot to live up to if you just go to the website. You know, maybe you've been playing guitar for five years. Go to the website, buy the tone, plug it in, and, and try and play that riff. You're not going to get that same sound that he did because his hands are just magical. Well, it's just like if you go to a dream theater show and John Petrucci hands you his guitar and nothing yeah. changes in the rig. You're not going to suddenly sound what like What do you him. mean, bro? <laughs> I learned all the riffs. Yeah, I'm also pretty young. This is only, honestly, I've only been recording music for a year and I'm 19 years old and I've only been playing guitar for like maybe five years well, Hey, now. you're off to a good start. We're here to help yeah. you get better. Do you so. have uh, <laughs> any more other, like any other questions for us about this song uh, that any areas in the mix that you're not proud of other than the guitars? I think bass and guitars are probably like my biggest weakness, I think. I like I can get my vocals to sound kind of the way I want, but I, levels is also something that I usually like send out my mixes to one of my friends. He produces in like the state close to mine. And uh, he's pretty good. I think he's a lot better than I am. So I usually like send my stuff to reference to him and he usually gives me like pretty good feedback when I'm doing work for other bands. But I didn't send this one to anybody. I kind of just figured I'd let you guys do it. <laughs> yeah, let's make you aware of this plugin called Magic AB. Do you put it on the on the master bus, AL? Yeah, I just put okay. it on the master bus. So you put it on the master bus and it has a couple buttons. You press the buttons and you load songs into this plugin. And then at the touch of a button, you can mm -hmm. hear other songs while, you know, does it mute the whole mix when you're when another song's playing? Yeah, it mutes the whole mix instantly. And also you can level match to the reference material. So, you know, if you're using iTunes or whatever, if you're using other tracks in your DAW for reference material, this absolutely kills it because one thing that's really, really bad for referencing the other tracks is having a pause between your song and the other song. Another thing that's really bad when referencing is having a volume discrepancy between your song and, and the other song. I always have those problems. <laughs> yes, well, with the Magic AB plugin, which is about $50, you kill both those problems. And not only that, you can load up to nine songs per instance. So, and I don't think you need to do more reference to more than three songs, but also you said you're referencing to one of Joey's mixes. If you like that mix, that's cool. I'm sure it's awesome, but you should pick two more mixes so that you're From not the same just year. <laughs> yeah, so, so that you're not just trying to imitate one thing because the uh, you're not going to get a good mix if you're just trying to imitate something else. But if you're using multiple things as a reference, what will happen is if you do it right, your mix will come to life as its own thing because it'll you won't be quite so focused on imitating something because if you're actually trying to imitate something, it's almost impossible to get it because you don't have the same source material 
material going in. So, you know, like the set, like we said before with guitar tone, the settings could be identical. If the source tone is different, mm -hmm. you're going to get a different tone. So you could be killing yourself trying to imitate something and you'll never get there. However, if you're referencing to multiple things, it's more of a general idea, a general ballpark you're trying to get into. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a much more positive yeah, way to go about it. Yeah, let me ask you, how often do you get to work with a real bass? Oh, sheesh. It's been a little while. My bass player does not have okay, a nice so bass. I think that would be, all. honestly, would be a really huge thing for you to have access to a nice bass with a nice um, DI and then somebody who actually knows how to play it. If you get those three things in harmony, mixing bass becomes a lot more effortless and uh, actually a lot more... Uh, I don't know, more fun, I guess, because what you're working with is the result of, of somebody sitting down and saying, all right, I'm going to record a bass and this is how I think it should sound. But you might come to a different conclusion if you were to be in that same situation. So I think that's huge if you can mm -hmm. figure out how to maybe even go and find a place to rent a really nice bass and just try it on a track. I think it would kind of blow your mind. Mm -hmm. Fender Jazz, yeah, American. Yeah, love the Fender Jazz. Great bass. <laughs> The one bass that I actually have gotten to record was a, a Music Man. It was pretty nice. It was like a oh, $1,500 yeah. bass or something like that. I don't know. It's my friend's bass. Yeah, those are great. Music Man makes some great stuff. Yeah, and it was fantastic. I didn't touch programmed bass at all when I had that, but then he got a new bass player in his band that didn't have a nice bass so he wanted him to use it so that was the end of that <laughs> well i'll just say that sometimes even with really good bass real good real bass sometimes you want to program you know the sub mm. end of it regardless that's a question i actually had for you guys do you guys ever put like absolutely, a sine absolutely. Wave for your the reason why end? is because you want the low end I've, yeah, I you want it. the low end to be pitch perfect, and you're not going to do it with pitch correction because where we're at with pitch correction right now, it's just not good enough to do on really low end content. It never comes out very good. And so with a couple filters and a little bit of programming, you can get that perfect low end that you hear on the radio. All those guys are doing the same thing. It's all about the production and making sure that that low end is just absolutely perfect. So the only way to achieve it is to do it you know, scientifically. I can't believe, like, all right, I figured, because honestly, like, I listen to, like, uh, let's see. I generally do listen to, because honestly, I don't know that many producers. I only know of really? you three. That's, that's cool to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So I only listen to, like, you know, I have one of uh, Joel's. Are you lying? No, dude, I'm not even kidding. Like, I don't <laughs> listen, like, it's weird, that's funny. but... Okay. Yeah, I, I don't even listen to that much heavy music. Like <laughs> You know there's at least two more in the world. There might yeah. even be three or four. Possibly. But that exists on a different forum. We don't go there. So. <laughs> we don't have many friends, but we have some. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my friends, his name is Ricky Armolino. He's like in this band called This is the Apocalypse or whatever. But um, his friends own Atrium Audio. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But um, they used Sinewave on this band called Eye of the Breather's last record. And so, like, I later on... Eye the, the Breeder. Huh? 
<laughs> sorry, I, I the breeder. It's just a joke I make. Go, no, go, sorry, no, go ahead. I, I agree, but um, and so I, I was like, hmm. So I, you know, I got the reference that that used sine wave, and then I was listening to one of Joey's things later on, and I was kind of like, I wonder if that's how he gets his bass yeah, the low end to always sound so nice is by. Hey, doing there's that. a lot of real bass though on a lot of records though. You'd be surprised. For example, Attila is 100% real bass. Oh, no, I, I actually didn't even know that Joey programmed other than thinking that he might no use sine the wave. sine wave for the That's low That's what end. I mean. Like, Attila is 100% yeah. real bass all the way through. No. Oh, really? There's no, no sine wave at all? Uh, it just Absolutely depends not. on... it. Honestly, That's a lot cool. of times for me, it depends on the schedule. Um, sometimes there's just not enough time to do it. But I like to do it because I feel like it adds a lot to the mix for me. And I actually created a plugin to make it easier for people to do this. It's called Sub Destroyer. You can go to subdestroyer.com to get it. Yeah, I just haven't gotten around to getting yeah. that one yet. <laughs> All you have to do is feed it a it's MIDI great. performance great. of what the bass is playing. And then it has like a low pass built in. So it can just take over your low end. And then with your actual bass track you just put a high pass on there and uh you know find the frequency where you feel like the crossover makes sense and it sounds good and that's pretty much it so mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's a great technique the other thing is i i feel like a lot of program bases don't really have the i don't know what it is it's like um yeah it just doesn't have that like pick sound that you get from actually playing it yeah yeah, and so, that annoys you know, me. You gotta be working with some real bass to get that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, real bass with new strings and single coil pickups. Did you guys think the drums sounded? You know, to all me, right? it just sounded like they were just. Uh, Other than like, I mean, maybe you did EQ. <laughs> maybe you did EQ them. Maybe you did put compression and stuff like that. But to me, it just ended up coming out sounding like the straight up just the sample. Like, nothing done to it. Here's a question, too, about that. Because, like, what's on your master bus? Because one thing I felt like there was a lot of, like, the mid-range was off and, like, the 900 to, like, 25 3K-ish. There was, like, a really big frequency build up there. I didn't sit down and with an EQ and, like, just figure out exactly what frequency. But something about, like, the way the guitars, the cymbals, the bass, the drums were hitting, they were all kind of, like, peaking and smacking around there. And there was a lot of, like, just irritation uh, and that frequency for my ear where I was like, man, I just want to EQ that out. And I couldn't, <laughs> I had Steven Slate FGX on the master bus and then isotope ozone. What five. are you using for what? Cause I mean, I, I have both. I love FGX. It's very open sounding. And, uh, what were you using isotope for? Uh, that I used it for the, for the maximum. Gotcha. Okay. So you're getting your volume from two different places then each part from each plugin, correct? Yeah, I like the compression on um, FGX, so I use that, and then ah, I got use you. a and little bit. Okay, yeah. interesting. You mix into a two-bus compressor at all? Do you mix what? into a bus compressor on your master, like having, like, uh, I'll just use the generic, but like an SSL bus comp or something like that? Yeah, I kind of, I mean, well, well I, guess I guess if you're not. using the mastering compressor on FGX, I guess it's kind of doing the same thing. Now that I think yeah. about it, sorry, I... My brain yeah, that's, that's what that I That kind of helps, you know, gel the bottom end of a mix 
you know, when you're mixing is like having a, a compressor to kind of just get everything moving and pushing and breathing through it. And mm-hmm. that's a, a really good place to start. But if you're already kind of doing that, that kind of mitigates. The, uh, I like to use a, lin- <laughs> uh, a multiband <laughs> compressor a lot on the master bus because I feel like you get a little bit more mileage out of just a regular compressor in terms of like trying to get stuff to gel together. Mm-hmm. It really will take care of a lot of like you know, out of control frequency bands and uh, kind of make them work together more. I am not good with multiband compression at all. Okay, so <laughs> all you need to understand about it is it's basically like having four compressors or three or however many bands there are, and each one is limited to working on a small range of frequencies. So, like, you might have from 20 hertz to 250 hertz as your low end band. So all the settings that have to do with that band are only going to compress that part of the frequency range. That's pretty much it. And the whole Mm -hmm. concept of it is like, okay, well, you want to tighten up your low end without over compressing your high end or you want to, you know, gently affect the low mids when the low mids start to build up in your mix and the density of your production increases then your low mids probably go crazy and and this thing can react to that without you having to do a bunch of automation so it's kind of like a it's like a dynamic eq yeah it's like a dynamic eq and it's more of like forgetting balance and stuff like that and you know making certain frequency ranges actually blend with each other mm-hmm. oh, i had one thing to based say. on mastering mixing or instruments uh it was about mixing that was the question my question was should i multi-band compress that or figure out what in the mix is causing the build up try both yes the answer is yes <laughs> there's definitely a lot of 2k ish area that's irritating my ear in the guitar in the and like the symbol which is weird because if you're using drumforge symbols that's definitely not in there that's why i asked about what was on your master bus because i use those symbols way too often <laughs> oh okay okay um you know how it has the fgx has the saturation on there that you can use like the yes. tr- yeah i was using the high-end saturation mm. That could be it. Yes, I'm sure that that's helping. <laughs> and I think I was using a CLA emulator on, for compression on the cymbals. I don't know if that the saturation that it has on it would cause yeah, something that. something was off on the EQ curve, and I yeah. would know because I made them and kind of like, that's Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed that um, when adding saturation to cymbals, things can get out of hand real quick Mm -hmm. because you're adding harmonics to something that's already covering way too many frequencies. You can go from zero to just annoying and painful shit uh, within like a few percentage points of adding that saturation on there or compression on cymbals too. Uh, You got to be real, real careful. So maybe you're just uh, not neutering, but uh, you know, maybe you're just enhancing the wrong shit by adding that stuff. I probably Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe back off. Yeah, you got to be very careful with cymbals. I mean, that's something um, when Joey and I engineered that cymbal pack. We really, really tried to make our symbols like we would say as flat as possible. So there was like the least amount of things that piss you off in terms of like. Yeah. I mean, symbols just, there's always something when I record symbols that I want to kill when I wish I had like a thousand band EQ because I would use all and every single band. So we really paid attention to like mic placement and making sure that the response was very smooth yeah, on sure. the ear and it didn't, it was like the least offensive it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Back to the uh, using monitors thing with a band that I recently worked with, 
I guess I'm still working with them. But um, I did a, a mix for them for like one of the first songs, I guess, so they could release it like as a single. I used mainly speakers on that. They loved the mix and said that everything about it was like, you know, the low end was nice, the kick was punchy enough and stuff. And I have no idea why I did not mix this song with speakers. Like, I don't know. I guess to me personally, I'm so used to using headphones that I think- That's why, there's your answer. You just answered your own thing. It's force of habit. Yeah, yeah. And so instead of, you know, keeping up the good thing, I just, yeah. <laughs> I just went back. Yeah, to you got to get out of those comfort zones, man. You you won't get better unless you do that. And you've got evidence to support getting out of the headphone comfort zone anyways. So I think we got to wrap this up, though. It was great to have you on here, man. And thanks for letting us kind of rip apart your work. And I hope that uh, some of the tips that we gave you can help you, you know, change that and, and make better music. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. Go to creativelive.com slash audio to start learning now. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Savior Custom Drums, quality crafted drums, handmade in Denver, Colorado. Go to saviorcustomdrums.com to start building your custom drum collection now. To ask us questions, suggest topics, and interact, visit urmacademy.com and subscribe today.